Welcome to the Go Solo Show, powered by Subkit, the number one place for inspiration to help you start, run, or grow a winning business. I'm Johnny Quirk, and each week we bring you some amazing guests from a wide variety of businesses, all talking about their journey, motivations, and top tips for entrepreneur success. We deliberately aim to bring you stories, interviews, and real people who are fully deep in the trenches, building their businesses, and sharing actionable insights that you can use for your own entrepreneurial business journey. So whatever you're building, we're excited to be part of that journey with you. If you like what we do, don't forget to subscribe. Now let's get on with the show. Hey guys, Johnny Quirk back once again here to support your entrepreneurial journey. Okay, cool. So today I'm delighted to say that we have Laura Jew here, marketing and PR expert from the Wonderco. Laura, great to have you here. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. How are you doing? I am very, very good, thanks. And uh, again, I, I really appreciate you joining us today because this is a first for us on the Go Solo show. And that is because you're our first Southern Hemisphere guest. So uh, welcome. You're, you're down in Perth, Australia. That's right. I am. That's why it's all dark and shadowy. It's um, almost 7 p.m. Wow, honestly, I like this. The the the, the eight hour time difference works for me actually on on that side of Australia. I like it, which is great. So um, I think this today is going to be a really great chat because actually, you know, like obviously we have numerous kind of like solo entrepreneurs on this show, solopreneurs, small business owners. And I think for a lot of people, it's so important that they get their marketing right from day one. They get their kind of social media strategy they can kind of start thinking at least about PR and limited budget. So without obviously me giving away too much about what you obviously do in your business, I think obviously there's going to be so many tips that any solopreneurs out there could use obviously from day one. So in your own words, Laura, to start off the show, uh, could you describe your business and what it is that it does? Yeah, so the Wonderco is a boutique marketing and PR agency and our clients are all small to medium businesses. So it could be a small restaurant. We've got a franchise that has 20 stores, but essentially we look after um, a range of largely food, beverage and lifestyle brands that are either not big enough to have their own marketing team yet or they see better value in paying our team of three people um, a certain amount instead of hiring maybe just a senior marketing manager or one junior and we just make sure that all of these businesses find customers keep resonating with them and ultimately drive sales my god that sounds like the dream I have the entire funnel here <laughs> and my brain kind of coming out but I like what you just said actually you know you solve a pain point for small to medium businesses that they can actually use your agency as opposed to actually having to have that in-house and mm-hmm. In terms of the product which you sell, you know, like, uh, you know, like what is the kind of business model? Do you have businesses on, you know, retainer? Do you do kind of uh, small to medium term contracts? You know, is it one-offs? Please tell me more about how you make money. Yes, all of the above. So we have um, generally the two standard types of things that we do are the social media retainer and the marketing retainer. And a lot of clients will do both of those. And it's essentially a um, range of price in terms of how many hours they want us to dedicate to their brand. Um, And usually the client will just start on a three-month, not contract because we don't really lock anyone into any contracts, but a three-month plan. So we'll create either a social media strategy for them that we execute and then they see how it goes and they obviously like it and it continues or we'll create a three-month marketing plan. And then once that three months is done, then they you know, love it. And then we do an annual plan for them, which we continue to execute ongoing. But we do do project work as well. So we do a lot of like, we've done um, like app launches, PR for app launches. Um, We had a restaurant launch last week. We've got another one next week. And then we tend to like jump in for their PR and set everything up and then um, just continue with their social after that. Right. Brilliant. And in terms of those people who come to you, obviously, and have that first chat with you and say, this is what I want you to do for my business. What's their expectations of success and what you can do for them? You know, like, uh, are they fairly realistic? Do they actually have knowledge themselves about what it will take for them to you know, reach, I guess, social followers, interactions? You know, like, like, like what's, the, what's the kind of conversation like when you take on a new client about what their expectations of what you can offer are? Yeah, so I think I've definitely learned a lot in terms of that over the last, like, almost five years. Um, I think with 
social a lot of people are like okay we'll pay you for social and then like you're going to get us heaps of followers and heaps of sales and it doesn't work like that unless you're spending money on advertising now that's the first thing I always yep. say to them because Facebook and Instagram are pay to play now just like magazine advertising yep. um, so that's a conversation that we have and also it's the same you know if you're looking to really drive product sales um, you need promotions and a marketing strategy as well as a social strategy. So as much as there can be a strategy behind what we're doing on social media, you need kind of the promotions, monthly campaigns, whatever it may be to drive those sales as well. So that's a conversation that we have. Generally people, I think probably the best kind of clients are people who have tried to do marketing and social for a while themselves. They know how time-consuming it is. Yeah. They know they probably don't have the expertise and knowledge um, and they really want to get it off their plate and just focus on their business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but some do have unrealistic expectations. Like I want to get to 10,000 followers in three months. You need to do that for me. And we just say, well, unless you want to spend a lot of money. Out of that, yeah. And then it's like, you know, you don't even know the quality of those leads, like on social, if it's just uh, a date to farm, or even if it's just people who are just passively seeing and think they might like it. So no, that's, yeah. that's really, really interesting. And I think in terms of what you just said, I think is, is really cool because actually the more entrepreneurs we've had on the show, actually it seems like now it's a quite a common thing to outsource that social media strategy, mm-hmm. where I think maybe it used to be the thing of like a, you know, a fairly big business or whatever. It does seem to be a, you know, like something which people do like to, to farm out. You'd say that was the case? Yeah, I think um, I think so. And I think sometimes they might want to manage the social in-house, but, yeah, they'll outsource the strategy but then execute the strategy themselves. Sometimes we have that too. It yep. just really depends on the business and where they're at, with, like, in terms of, like, human resourcing and stuff too. Of course. And I think, you know, it's so important to get it right as well. You know, I think, you know, there is – we could all say we all have 10 hours of each day to spend on social or 10 mm-hmm. hours a week or however we want that, but there's no point in just – going out about that strategy in the wrong way if it hasn't been mm-hmm. thought out and about the kind of audience you're trying to curate really as well. So again, I think it is important. And I would say to any solopreneur or small business owner out there, it's maybe definitely worth considering kind of early on, even working with an expert, no plug here for you, Laura, Drew, but it's like, you know, <laughs> working with somebody who is an expert who can maybe let you see kind of like how you're going to strategize, even if you're doing it yourself, it might be one of those things that you still need to put the work in to start off. And we're going to dig into that later on in the show as well. So what actually gave you the idea for this and where does the passion come? So I looked at your website, obviously we've known each other for many years, but I was kind of almost drooling at some of the clients that you have, you know, food and drink is my kind of area as well. I love it. But you know, what kind of gave you the passion to start your own business? So I definitely didn't intend to start the business at all. Um, I was working with you at Yelp and, you know, all of the international operations ceased to exist. And um, my husband and I just bought a family home. And so I was like, okay, great. Like, I don't have a job anymore. (laughs) So I just got back to everyone who had been hitting me up on LinkedIn DMs being like, can you consult for us over the last however many years? And it was always a conflict of interest and I never had time. Yeah. Um, so I just got back to them and said, look, I've, I'm now like, I've just been made redundant. I'd love to do some consulting over you. It was November. I'd love to do some consulting. You know, all the jobs in Australia come out in February after everyone's come back and resigned after the Christmas and summer break. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I'm going to get a job in February, like, but I'm happy to consult and just keep that line of communication open about my availability for a few months. And then February came and I had full-time work. So I was like, oh, okay. I want to have kids soon. I've heard like working for yourself provides a lot of flexibility. My husband had always been on at me to start my own business anyway, but I was never like, I was always just a bit scared to do that, I guess. Like it was never really um, part of my fabric. And so, yeah, I just was like, okay, I guess I have a full-time job now. So yeah. (laughs) And then, and then, when I had my daughter, I hired my first full-timer and then not long after that, I hired my second full-timer. So now there's three of us. And and then that's amazing because, I mean, obviously it shows the business is thriving and obviously heading in the right direction. You've taken on the support. Mm. You know, to, to mention the word that you talked about, flexibility, was the reality mm. as good as the theory? Like, tell me about that flexibility. Did it increase flexibility for you? I don't know. It's like I think... Um, I think 
the first, after the first year or two, you understand, okay, I'm going to work a lot this month Mm. and like earn a lot of money and have very little personal time. Um, And then the next month or whenever, when you have a lull, um, I would get quite anxious when I first started out because I'm like, oh, my God, where's Because obviously you're not sort of doing the business development when you're flat out working. Whereas now I've kind of definitely learned to ride the waves a bit. So, like, if we have a really, like, quiet September, I'll be like, okay, great, I'll do all my Christmas shopping because, like, October to December will be flat out. So much more better at kind of, like, working in with the workflow now. It's been pretty good. Um, It's been pretty good for flexibility, I think. Definitely, for I think, for having kids, I've been able to have a certain amount of time with my daughter that I might not have had, but I'm, I'm still I'm still weighing it up, to be honest, because sometimes <laughs> I feel like, would it be better to have, like, you know, two full days at home, whereas when you own your own business, I feel like I can never take a whole proper day off, yeah. like when you have clients. So I will have some mornings and afternoons off with my daughter and then um, always work at least half a day to make sure everyone has been gotten back to and stuff. But they're definitely... There definitely is a lot of flexibility. Is there, is it more flexible and enjoyable for a family than if you're working part time? And the jury's still out in that one. Yeah. And that's five <laughs> years later. So you know, you, it's a journey you're on here. And in that's terms good. of use the word anxiety as well. And like you know, again, I'm not you know going to dig into every single word you use, but I mean, you know, I think this is a common thing from a lot of the entrepreneurs, solopreneurs that we chat with on the show. You know, those first few weeks months it seems like it kind of figured itself out like you said you were lucky to kind of follow in the footsteps of what you were doing for your career before that but you know like when did that kind of anxiety almost go away and, and you can please feel free to tell me it still exists every day but you know that kind of call anxiety imposter syndrome comes up sometimes mm. with some of the people we chat with when did you start thinking maybe I've got this and I'm really happy with what I'm doing and you know I feel like I can build this into a scalable business Look, I definitely think it ebbs and flows. Like I think the first year is the worst. Um, And I think it depends on your personal situation as well. Like when I, you know, you you probably like I started started to get in the swing, feeling super confident, okay, making good money, but then you take on the responsibility of paying for someone's livelihood with a full-timer and that's obviously like very stressful. And then then with a second member and you're like, it's all good. Like I've, I've done the numbers. Like I would never hire someone without knowing that I can pay them, you know, having money in the bank to cover you for a few months and then COVID hits and you're just like, okay. <laughs> and you and you also, I was at a point where we were like turning down clients that I was like, you know, they're not either like the, the product's not a good fit. I don't feel like we're going to personally work well together. Yeah. We had gotten to that point before COVID and then because of COVID, then you start taking on people again just so that you can make mm-hmm. sure your staff still have an income. So it definitely ebbs and flows, but you definitely have a greater sense of, I think, um, your self-worth as a business and your services. Yeah. yeah. I think for quite a while you're like, oh, I know I've got the expertise and I'm offering something of value, but then I think it, it gets more and more obvious, especially as people start writing those Google, Google reviews. They're always nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well. But I, I, mean, I think that's, that's, that was actually another question I would bring up, which is great because, again, another thing where a lot of our guests have talked about is that the first year or two was bumpy. It was that mm-hmm. kind of slight anxiety, what's happening. But then actually as that, you know, it's almost like planting those seeds to grow tomorrow. You know, like, you know, you're doing the work. You're hoping you're doing the right work that's going to bloom into mm-hmm. something for you. But actually, you know, like you then can get a little bit more picky with clients. You know, you can actually, because I guess you've got to be, you can't be too broad to everybody and you mm. can't kind of like try and just do every single thing. It's good to have your niche, which obviously, as you said, it's mainly around food and drink based businesses as well. Yeah. In terms of that, how do you almost like unpick this now out of COVID? I mean, do you have a strategy or are you just happy to be surviving stroke thriving or, you know, how do you realign where you're at? Or is it just that your natural place of where you want to get to? We are very lucky in that we are like a hundred percent exactly where we were pre-COVID now. But that's yeah. keeping in mind that we are in the most isolated city in the world, and our premier, who heads up our state in Australia, just shut down our borders. He wouldn't even let anyone in from any other state in Australia because yeah. Melbourne got hit quite badly, and Sydney, in Perth, oh, I don't even know off the top of my head, but like 
I think it's only around about 10 people who had COVID. So it's like we we had a lockdown for, um, I can't even remember how long the first one was, maybe four weeks. Um, and that was really bad, obviously, for our restaurant clients. Yeah. Um, but the government, the Australian government was really good at subsidising income and help yeah. and then and helping landlords negotiate um, rent re- well helping tenants negotiate rent reductions with landlords so we are just like it's we are kind of unscathed by COVID so we are pretty much back where we were everything is totally normal um so yeah we are yeah just you know we're back in that spot where we are just sort of picking clients but I was really 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 bad at that to begin with like I would just (laughs) take on anyone because I just kind of thought of it as a marketing challenge I was like oh yeah your business is not doing well let's work it out let's work out like why and then like you know I kind of thought like you know if your business isn't doing well like as a marketing expert I need to make it do well but there's some businesses like where you know there'll be like a multitude of reasons of maybe why it's not working and now it's easy for me to just have a phone call with someone and not even meet them and know if we can make them very successful. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I used to take any clients, any service almost imaginable within the scope of like marketing to begin with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're like, I don't know why your petrol station is not winning any uh, Michelin stars this year, but I'm determined <laughs> to try and get it sorted. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this will be one for the autobiography. This is where you're kind of like, you know, that day when we did that. But, you know, again, I don't want to like, you know, we don't have to talk about this at length, but I'm just interested in terms of like some of those reasons why you don't feel it kind of maybe works out for a business. You know, like, is it, is it, mm-hmm. is it the business owner? Is it the concept? Is it whatever? Like, you know, a few reasons that maybe how you would bring that up with the business owner about maybe how they can pivot, you know, might not be that you want to take that client on now, but maybe a few suggestions you could could give to try and yeah. Um. So, I mean, I can give a couple of examples. I guess my first thing, like, I think it's a balance of, like, not investing too much at the beginning because, obviously, businesses don't have endless amounts of money, but investing in the right things. So, say we had this small business that approached us a few weeks ago and he'd spent, like, $15,000 on signage. Right. And it wasn't even, like, anything in particularly spectacular for signage. But like his logo and just the whole brand did not resonate with his audience. Like it was, and then um, the social and all these other sort of bits and pieces. And he was trying to sort of cut costs now and spend a fraction of the amount of 15,000. And it's just, I think, working out really where you should be putting the money to begin with. And it's like, you don't need to like, sure, get like a friend or whoever to do a logo who's a graphic designer, as long as you love it and you think your audience will love it. Um, But there's certain things that you do need to invest in to begin with to make things look good. And I think there's a difference between what you like as the business owner and what your like customer is going to like. And I think teaching, we've had to teach a lot of clients that as well. They're like, I don't know if I like the look of that. I was like, that's cool. Like you're 40 and you're a man and you're already, you're like customers are 16 year old girls. So that's good. Like you shouldn't really like it that much. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think in our experience, just like knowing where to invest the right money and the wrong money, which is like, I know it's kind of like who knows how to do that really till you've been through it. And then, yeah, just thinking about your customer, not so much you like the customer's experience. Yeah. That's really interesting. There's some really good points there. I think as well, starting at the end and actually maybe working backwards is so important like you said why spend 15 grand on signage if actually mm-hmm. you haven't got the fundamentals right you could have spent 1500 2000 dollars on a bit of more thought consultancy whatever mm-hmm. worked out and then maybe spent less on the signage because you get more mileage in other ways for your business as well definitely I've spent like at least you know five or ten grand on advertising and like yeah but yeah. you know that's probably why you love it you get to sit down and go I hate to break it to you, man. But I hate that part. And I feel bad, like, because you just don't know what to say to the client as well. Like, I mean, we never really tell them, this is kind of like giving away the secret sauce, but like we never tell them, look, I just don't think your business is going to do well. But it's, and you don't want to be telling people that you're like not taking on any more clients because you don't want word to get around that like you're fully booked and you're not, you're not taking on any more business. Yeah. Um, So yeah, we usually just say it's not a good fit at the time. 
Okay. Yeah. Look, I like I mean, that. We, like... Do, we do try and give them some <laughs> advice as well. We're like, here's a few things that you know we could suggest that you you know work yeah, on yourself. Yeah. Or I think that's that's important. I think that is the mark of kind of maturity of your business. Like you said, that you're pick and choose, and even to use word of mouth and referrals. It's better that somebody lands on your website or hears word of mouth and you've actually helped a relevant business because call it law of attraction, call it whatever. But if you're putting yourself in that space, then people understand who you, what you stand for. If you're scattergun and whatever, you know, you just, how do you get that reputation? I guess that's how almost you develop yourself into a premium service for people as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's definitely something I've learned as well. And it's even just like, you'd be surprised at how much stuff is just like through, like obviously like what you're saying, you want to boast about the work that you're doing on your own social media and website. And so if you A, can't even do that or B, it's not great, you're only going to attract that work like you were saying. But I think also you'd be surprised how many business owners are networked with other similar business owners. Like we've got a kombucha brand who just referred an organic stock, like the soup stock company onto us you know, other restaurants that have referred other restaurants on as well. So those business owners are all referring stuff on too. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. And I mean, that's what actually, that's where the passion comes from to do your business. Because actually, if you're getting excited by the clients for coming to you and you're working, oh, yeah. you know, that's actually what motivates you to get out of bed in the morning. You know, not just the kids, of course, you know, but you know, yeah. he'll get you out of bed yeah. whatever time of the night. But actually to be able to kind of sit there and go, wow, kombucha brand, love it. Wow, organic produce, brilliant. Wow, if we do a great job of this really cool restaurant, who knows what's going to open up? If you're just doing it for the cash, then you're diluting your brand over time as well. And, you know, like I said, you know, we've talked with all sorts of people on the show and everybody has been able to evolve this. You know, everybody's realized to an extent where their niche is. Um, And that's when, again, you know, they've, they've developed great brands, great reputations, and they're able to, again, turn it into a premium product as well. Mm-hmm. The big question I always ask of everybody who comes on this show is, you know, do you think you could ever go back now after five years? Do you think you could go back to a salaried position? I don't know. I've been asked this a few times in the last year or two. And I think, you know, I mean, apart from the fact I'd never sort of want to walk away from our clients or my employees and like leave them without a job, I think it would have to be a pretty spectacular brand. I think the only thing, like, I think probably one of them, best things about this job is that because a lot of our businesses are small to medium you you can really quickly see like they'll ring you and say okay great we got however many bookings or we got this many sales through or you can see through Facebook or their website how many sales they got from a campaign you're running or from an article that went into a newspaper and that's really rewarding straight away but I think you do as a marketer miss out on like more global stuff um, or like at least doing marketing internationally or in like multiple different markets so I think you know you do sort of miss out on a little bit of um excitement there as a marketer but it would have to be pretty amazing I don't know what it would be yeah I think it's always worth kind of keeping your ear to the ground really you know like having a closed mind or whatever you know because you're never too sure what's around the next corner for good or for bad so it's always worth being kind of uh you know interesting you know interested about what's out there really and actually having that like you said a big global brand could be that I think it's also a case of you know what you want out of life you know, I mean, mm. you know, again, I, I was going to ask it later, but I may as well ask it now. You know, like, what would what's your kind of like dream with the wonder? I mean, do you see it as do you want it to be a sustainable business or, a, or you know, where it fits in with your lifestyle? And in 20 years time, you're like, wow, we built a really great business, but I've been able to have a great lifestyle. Or do you really see this as, you know, do, do you get far in your belly to scale it and think, wow, well, we've got Perth covered but what if we set up a regional office somewhere else or something else like what what would be the overall vision about where you want to take the Wonderco? Yeah I don't know it depends because I think when we first started and like I was seeing like a lot of growth um and then you know hired Adrian Robin who we were who we all worked together um I was at the time thinking oh you know okay let's just keep this going maybe we'll get to like 10 12 people in a couple of years and um and just sort of see where it goes from there. But then I think as the owner and someone who really enjoys marketing, like that's what I want to be doing day to day. Um, 
I do enjoy a little bit of the like workplace culture and psychology and all that kind of stuff, managing people, but I don't really want to be managing a team of 12 people. Like that's not how I want to spend my day today. Yeah. Um, which is essentially what you would have to do unless I guess you hired someone to like manage like HR. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, so, yeah. yeah. I but, think that's kind of where we're at at the moment. Like I, I could maybe see us hiring like one or two more people maybe, but I think we're in a good balance of like everyone's growing and developing professionally. Everyone's doing work that they're interested in. The clients have a, have a really great resource and we're constantly, you know, being able to keep them up to date with marketing technology and stuff. I think like we're in a really good spot now. Um yeah, I don't know. Maybe a couple more, not too much bigger. But I want that lifestyle balance as well. Like I've got my daughter who's two and then I've got another baby during July. So I want to make sure that I, you know, and obviously there for their first, but like also just enjoying them as much yeah, as possible yeah. in those first few years. Well, the good news is that I don't have a $10 million check here saying I'm ready to take this global. I don't work for Coca-Cola or somebody who's ready to say, how do you fancy this global marketing up? But what I can say is it seems like, you know, you're in a good place. I mean, you know, it seems yeah. like you're happy. Like it's great that obviously business has recovered from the COVID situation. Yeah. And, you know, you can, like you said, you're at a sustainable pace where maybe if opportunities come available to you, you can turn on the gas, but it's not like mm. you're going to breakneck speed saying, look, I'm a failure if I'm not the next new Elon Musk or something like that, you know. So yeah. I think having that sustainable growth, I think, is so important, uh, you know, amazing. It's so great to hear. Right. We're now moving on to section two of our of our Go Solo show here, where we actually delve into the top tips maybe that you could give to other entrepreneurs out there. So obviously your experience, Laura, is all around marketing, PR, events, those sorts of things. And, yeah. you know, I do this through the prism of a, you know, a small business owner, maybe someone who wants to grow a yoga business, a personal trainer mm-hmm. business, maybe start a cafe. Maybe it's a chef who's got a concept for a street food truck. I know that might seem very broad. So you say, Johnny, you're giving me nothing to work with here. It's like you're being too broad. But if I basically was going to go out there, you know, and get my marketing right from day one, mm-hmm. you know, what advice would you say for solopreneurs, entrepreneurs on a small budget that they should mm-hmm. really do before launching their business? What would be those top tips you would do for a, a launch kind of early growth strategy to acquire those first customers? Yeah. So I think the very first steps is obviously coming up with a business name um, and then getting a logo and just like a one page bio, like explaining what the business does. Mm. Um, And then from there, I think setting up all your social media. I don't think you need a website. If you are just say a cafe, Um, you can put your menu and everything on Facebook. But I think if you're much like, you know, if there's going to be more involved, like restaurant bookings, e-commerce or anything else, then you do need a website and they're not that expensive and you can do them on Squarespace pretty easily yourself. Um, And then I think just with the branding, when you start like venturing out into these marketing channels, just like pick your brand colors with your logo and just make sure that you're using the right colors. And it's really easy to do all that stuff in Canva now, but like, you know, pick one or two fonts. You don't want to be using more than that. Everything look needs to look consistent. Otherwise the brand just looks untrustworthy and messy um so that's a good starting point so then you've got your social you've got your website if there's anything remarkable and when I say remarkable I mean everyone who starts their own business thinks that they're kind of remarkable but like something that's newsworthy like you can't email a journalist and be like hey I'm opening a bookstore there has to be something remarkable like do you have a first edition of a book that you're going to have or like you know is one of the business owners an author or something like that if there's something newsworthy then you can try um, writing a media release and getting some media coverage to begin with too and then Sorry. No, no, carry on. I was going to ask a bit deeper in terms of the PR, but you carry on what you're saying and I'll, I'll pick up that point in a minute. Yeah. And then I think social, like I think, like I said before, you can't, you can't get a huge amount of growth on social without spending too much money on advertising, but it does happen. Like, especially with restaurants, we have clients that don't spend advertising within the first month or so, and they get quite a lot of growth in followers because either they get the PR or just because they're using or we're using the right hashtags so people find them organically or they're engaging with potential 
customers or influence doing influencer outreach and inviting influencers to come along and getting good growth on social that way so that's important and then if you do have money for advertising then um, you know you can do some pretty amazing things with um, Facebook ads creating you know sales funnels lead gen setting up those email automations um, is a really great place to start brilliant and I think obviously you know uh in terms of PR, you know, I think we we know, you know, sometimes it's a bit of a game you're playing, you know, with journalists. I mean, this omni-channel approach which you're talking about is really mm-hmm. important because I think, you know, you've got to just make sure that you've got numerous different funnels and they're all kind of taking you to a, a set amount of assets if you're trying to direct people to ultimately either buying something from you or becoming a subscriber mm-hmm. or, or whatever. But in terms of getting great PR, like, you know, First off, like you said, you know, you start with a story. It's got to be something mm-hmm. newsworthy. But like if I, but you know, I think it's so important to get coverage in an online newspaper or a real newspaper mm-hmm. or something, because I think that almost like cements the brand. You get so much kind of like eyes on that really. But how do I go about it? You know, like, like, like you said, I might have a newsworthy story, but is it literally just a case of trying to do, would you build relationships with the journalists first, let them know you exist, or do you just keep sending a press release to them? Or do you find their emails and start, you know, like sending little emails to them? Like, mm-hmm. like what, what's going to get pick up and what's going to really probably try and get your repeat coverage from my business? Yeah, it is hard. I think that is like part of the reason that PR companies get the the coverage is largely just the relationships they have with the journalists because journalists, like my friend, um, is a journalist and she'll get like minimum 500 emails a day but often like over a 1,000. So when she's scanning through her emails and all of them say like media release, media release, media release, media release, she doesn't even read the titles half the subject line half the time. She's just looking for the PR people that she knows or any other good contacts and leads she knows. So that's part of the reason generally that you would pay for someone in PR. But I think if you are doing it yourself, then definitely looking at the journal, like look at the publications you want to be in then look at the journalists who are writing articles, the type of articles that you want to be in. So if you're a restaurant, the food writers, or if, you know, you're a tech startup in technology or whatever, and then um, find out their contact details, which you can do by stalking them out on LinkedIn or Twitter, maybe try and engage with them on social media first so that they have some kind of idea who you are. At least maybe if you added them on LinkedIn, they'd see your name. And when you send them an email two weeks later, they might be like, oh, I've heard that name before. And they would actually open your email. Um, And then you have to be really careful about how you craft the media release. So the subject line in the email is obviously the most important thing because if that's the gatekeeper like that's how you're going to get in um and then just making sure that all the most important information is in that sort of first paragraph because yeah. a, a lot of people aren't going to read past that first paragraph yeah um and paste the media release into the email don't attach it no one's going to open an attachment so make sure it's in the email <laughs> i think yeah. like that's giving you the best chance and then once you have a relationship hopefully maybe they would come to you but at least you could come to them with stories as well yeah Yeah, okay look this is amazing I wish I'd known this when I ran my own startup here as well Laura you know I should have come straight to you what was I thinking was uh, there we got a bit of coverage but I think you know I'm putting this in the mind of you know we're working with a great guy called Roger who's building his personal trainer business um, and movement nutrition business on subkit right now and Mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking of kind of ways, you know, putting myself in his shoes that maybe he could generate press interest. You know, maybe his title could be, he runs this thing called Heaven or Hell. And it's kind of like an idea of content where it's like, look, like what what's the difference? If you're going to eat that food, if it's saying unhealthy food, what's the best case scenario and what's the worst case scenario? So hell could be like, well, I'm going to get diabetes or I won't get to see my kids or whatever. But the heaven yeah. could be like, actually, I've, do it as once a fortnight and it's a nice treat or whatever. So yeah. it's the same, you know, he's, what I'm trying to say is he kind of like helps you make decisions by looking at the worst case scenarios, which I think is quite a novel way of doing it. And yeah. maybe that could be a great subject line to a journalist, like, you know, are you choosing heaven or hell or something like that. And then maybe to take it one step forward, you know, maybe he could, uh, you know, invite these journalists for a, you know, boot camp with him or something for a one day or mm-hmm. something. You know, do you think it's important to be quite, zany almost in terms of getting cut through or are you again are they just going to go oh who's this time waster 
I think probably the two things that we see work best are like research that's recently been announced, like tying it in with that. So say, take the personal trainer, for example, if there's just some research that's come out by the Heart Foundation mm. or um, the, you know, Diabetes Association about something, um, tying that in, yeah. like because it's obviously like building authority behind what you're saying as well as trying to get you a free plug for your business. Yeah. Um, and then any other trends. So like obviously like maybe, I mean, keto is kind of like almost having has had its day, but, you know, if there's like a food trend that's happening at the moment and maybe yep. if you're like a nutritionist or something, it would be really great for you to send a media release that says like nutrition ex- explains why keto is so bad for whatever or so good for whatever. That's yeah, yeah. That, that they want, you know, they want experts and they want research, not so much the fluff. So I'd say they're the two so, good angles. I like yeah. that what you're saying as well about trends, actually. I think that's so important. And like you said, to, to back it up, there's so many times, you know, we'll read the newspaper at the weekend and yeah, it's all peppered with stats or surveys or whatever. Mm. And actually that creates the new story, I guess, which obviously they write it off. So again, if you could be directly yeah. quoted, who knows it's going to go. And I also just want to get your advice here because you've mentioned ads quite a, you know, quite a big, you know, you know, a few times based in our chat today. And obviously I think we all understand how ads can add extra fuel to what you're doing, but I guess you've got to have source content and base content to do it you know you don't want to just splash your cash on loads of ads and directs you know almost bots towards your pages because actually what's the yeah. value for it what what would you know say i'm a, a personal trainer yoga instructor a chef who's probably got limited hours what probably would you say would be great kind of uh almost base content i should be creating that's going to get me the most impact i know that might be a broad church in terms of example industries but like, you know, what kind of would you say would be great sources of content, which I could probably start if I was looking really to start gaining momentum for my business? Yeah, so I think um, even myself, you like try, when I first started the Wonderco, you're writing these posts and you're like, oh, everyone knows this because you know, you like work through these kind of points so much. Like this isn't really like adding value, but any kind of knowledge that you can share um, yeah you know, from your expert point of view is great. So you want to always be sharing something that's of value. You don't want to be like, we try and say like 80, 20 rules. So like maybe 20% sales messages or promotion and then 80% content that's of value to the audience. So with a personal trainer, like, you know, here's how to warm up, warm down, nutrition, stuff that people want to know um, who are interested in working out and then using hashtags around those things like localized ones um, so that people can find you that way. Yep. Um, and then I think it's really good if they could do some kind of, you know, we recently did a campaign for a personal trainer. I think he did the three first three sessions free. I mean, you only have to really do one um, and then, you know, get people's email address, get them, and then start getting them to bring one person for free. Um, That's a really good place to start too. Okay, brilliant. And again, you know, I love that kind of, the referral is so important as well. You know, once you get that, it's like lifetime value. It's like, once you get that email, who knows then if uh, and, and yeah. if people aren't massively au okay fait with a um, lifetime value, it's like, if it costs you 10 pounds to acquire that customer or $10 or whatever, are they going to be worth $100 or $200 or $300 down the line because of the referrals, how many times they may buy from you? So it's a great way to use your money. Even if you might be giving away stuff for free, it's going to obviously generate more customers down the line. So uh, just want to put in that there as well. Exactly, yeah. Uh, see, at least I know the odd bit here, Laura, as well. Like the odd bit's gone in over the years. <laughs> um, in terms of this then, so when you're saying, you know, producing content, are we talking about maybe starting with really strong source content, like a long form blog, you know, top mm. 10, like, like top 10 social media tips by the Wonderco. Then you would mm-hmm. chunk that up into other assets that can be used across other platforms or, you know, I guess writing long form takes a lot of time. Would you say that it's more about doing a daily tip on, on, on Instagram, yeah. say for social results? Like how, how would you approach that? Yeah, I think, um ideally you would start with the longer form like we have have a client that's a technology client and we generally like work on a case study for them 
or a long form, form blog or some kind of um, long, yeah, some kind of like bigger piece of content. And then we break it down into another piece of content. So we might turn yeah. it into an infographic for the blog as well. And then those would go up as links on your social media, but then they would also maybe become 10 tiles. So each tip would be one post out of the 10. And then you can also like turn it into a video. Like there's free software that you can use that you can put in your blog URL and then it will like, put up imagery that it thinks is suitable. Like it can be a bit cheesy, but you can edit it so it's good. Um, And then, you know, turn it into maybe an Instagram reel or something as well. So the idea is, yeah, you would start with the biggest piece and then get as much longevity out of it as possible. Does everyone do it that way? Not really. I'd say more so like our clients, if they're not that big, then they focus more on the social content. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's it, you know, I guess it's like, yeah, you said like, it depends, I guess, on time, resources, you know, like we know that say long form is going to be great for Google for SEO, but it could be a good 12, 18, 24 months before the real power of that kind of kicks in. Great if you've got the time to build it, but if you're actually more just like, we're doing amazing burritos this weekend, or you know, like top 10 reasons why burritos are amazing or whatever, it's more about drawing people to a decision point pretty quickly, really. Yeah, and I think for us, maybe more like the B2B clients, we focus a lot more on the blogs, but consumer, we tend to like put a lot more time and effort into the social, even though the blogs are really important as well, yeah. Very good. And, you know, again, I asked this question, you know, probably maybe it's evolved because you've used the word referral so much, but, you know, are you now actively going out yourself on a sales function and trying to find new leads for your business? Or does that pretty much take care of itself from the content that you're putting out there and the reputation that you've got yeah at the moment it's fine so we're just like you know we don't need any extra work than what is already coming in organically um and in the past we have done some facebook legion ads when we've needed some clients um but i've been really lucky and actually when i was thinking about this call one of the main things i wanted to get across because i feel like this is probably one of the things i'd learned like earliest on is like when you talk about referral like referral is great right from existing clients but when you are starting out you don't have any existing clients or past clients so i have one girlfriend who has a business very similar to mine but she started before me so she was amazing at like giving me clients that she basically just didn't have the time for and then we have like past you know we've had different lulls and peaks of work and so we've been sending work each other's way But what she's also got, which now we've got as well, is as well as maybe finding someone who has the same business as you and and doing that referral I spoke to, is finding another business that services your customers and is around about the same period of that customer journey. So for us, we don't really do any website development. We do like very basic landing pages and stuff for clients, but for e-commerce and stuff, we have a client that we refer to and then he refers clients. So he's built the website for this client and then he's like, okay, now you're like launching, you need to go get PR and marketing, go see Laura. And um, same with SEO as well. So we don't do any SEO in-house, but we've got a client. I mean, we've got a like company that's Partners. a friend that we refer to a bunch of vice versa. And I think that is huge because then you're not like out in the market. You're just, just taking like, and, and yeah. that person's already kind of qualified this client as a, if they're good or, you know, they wouldn't refer them if they're a nightmare as well. I really like that actually, you know, that partnerships mm. element almost like obviously it's quite a loose partnership, but. Yeah. yeah, you said they're at the right stage, the right kind of client. It's a trusted thing. You can move people on, and uh, you can mm-hmm. you can break up the uh, the win, I guess, between three or four of you, and say Definitely. right, this is plus you know that you're not having to do anything too shoddy if you're all of your expertise and you all trust each other. So. Uh, that is definitely going down as one of our tips as well to kind of like work mm-hmm. as workers partnerships and for everybody listening out there and watching on YouTube, you know, we do turn this into a blog as well. So, um, you know, like obviously Laura's top tips from today will also be on our, in our blog in the coming weeks as well. Right. We're moving into our go solo rapid fire round here. Famous mm-hmm. already. I think this is episode 15, 16 here now, Laura, which is great. So in life, who are your favorite entrepreneurs and why? Oh, wow. Do you know what? I don't even really, like, 
kind of like I said before, I don't really, like I'm not one of those people who was like, you know, hustle till I die or whatever. Like I was never following, like I never wanted to set up my own business. It was totally accidental. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know if I have like entrepreneurs that like I follow and admire. I definitely, you know, like without just being a total cliche, obviously Seth Godin is like the marketing god, but also huge in terms of like being an entrepreneur and he's got incredible course on freelancer or called freelancer on Udemy, I think is like the main place to get it, yep. which I would also recommend doing as soon as you start out. Yeah. Cause I did it at like a year in and half of it. I was like, damn, I made all of these mistakes. <laughs> like I wish I'd listened to this a year ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely, you know, I subscribe to his emails and um, listen to lots of different podcasts that he's on. Um, I like I pay for subscriptions for like not so much aspiring to the entrepreneurs, but there's like subscription emails that I pay for for social media and other things where they basically digest. So like their job is digesting. Okay, here's all the algorithm changes. This is what's happening this week. Like this is the new element of Instagram, whatever. This is how you can like, you know, it will perform well for your clients if you do this. So like I pay a small fee for that that an entrepreneur sends through to me. Yeah. Um, and then I love listening to heaps of different podcasts, marketing, social media, like, you know, anything that your interest is in. I find that's really good on top of like reading other trade publications. What are some of your favorite podcasts? What, what would be useful so to a, one, somebody out there who's wanted to use them for their own marketing? Yeah. So there's one called Socialette. Okay. I think I'm saying that right. That Adri from, from our team got me onto. And it's really like snappy social tips once yeah. a week. Um, and she's focusing a lot of her business around, um, creating like, um, like classes, like classes online. Um, but a lot of it is on social media as well. So she's been a really good one to listen to. Who else? There's so many. I would have to like look through my phone and tell you all of them, but, um, yeah. So like, sort of like. Lead, like leadership ones culture ones for the team um news ones so like um Gretchen Rubin happier trying to cover like all elements of life really <laughs> yeah oh god I mean yeah look sign me up I mean again I guess the follow-up question is when do you get a chance to actually listen to all these podcasts you know like, like you know how do you put them in yeah, in the car. When I'm working on stuff that's not writing, like I definitely can't. Um, it's funny, I came into the office to, today and the team like turned the music off straight away in the office because <laughs> they know that I can't like do a lot of writing and hear lyrics. Like it's okay if it's sort of more ambient music. Yeah. Um, but if I'm like looking at numbers and charts and stuff like that, I listen to podcasts a lot then, but a lot in the car. Um like I do a lot of walking for exercise. So I listen to them a lot then as well. Yeah, that's something I, I used to listen to a lot of podcasts and I'm trying to get back into it, but I'm trying to find the time. It usually would be like when I'm putting the laundry away or, you know, like yeah. I'm going, but you know, even now, like, you know, I was playing tennis last night and as I was walking to tennis, I was just like, do you know, what? I want to leave my headphones off because I'm loving the spring at the moment, the birds in the trees, yeah. that sort of stuff. Other side for you're going into autumn like that, but it's kind of a, uh, yeah. you know, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's trying to pick the time, but I think there's, there's so much good stuff out there. So that's going to go onto our list. Some of those examples as well mm -hmm. in life. Uh, you know, who's your most inspiring person or most inspiring people? Oh, wow. We get deep um, here. This is the part we get. Wow, deep I love it. Show. I didn't think we were going to be chatting about this. I think there's like lots of different people in my life that are inspiring and also like make me very happy and they're probably like they are the same people so I think I'm gonna start tearing up now just talking about <laughs> this but I think like my mum is just like very selfless and like nothing really phases her like she's a bit of a workhorse but like so endlessly loving yeah. um my like the the joy from my daughter and her experiencing everything for the first time and just, like, the confidence, like, it's just unbelievable. I know, like, that's not going to last ever. They start to get into tweens and get <laughs> sensitive, but just seeing her, like, just go crazy, like, when she sees a bird or a plane or whatever or, like, telling, like, everyone at daycare her mummy's here, like, it's just, like, she inspires me to sort of see the joy in little things and, like, how beautiful the world is 
yeah. you know, every day and not get caught up on too much stuff that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. Um, and my husband as well, he um, definitely inspires me and makes me happy. I've got like an amazing, we've got like a girl gang group on, it's like a Facebook group, but it's essentially like a lot of foodie friends. Um, and we're, you know, like, we really lift each other up and the girl who I was saying who owns a similar business to me where we refer work on to each other, there's a lot of people in marketing and social media and food in that group. There's like about eight of us now and they're just like a bit of a, you know, a life raft if you're having a rough week at work or like you need some advice that you, you know, maybe don't want to share with the team or, you know, whatever might be going on. But, yeah, they're all inspirational to me. No, this is great. Look, uh, there's no trick questions here. I think people feel like they have to come on and pretend they're Elon Musk or something and be like, yes, you know, I had I'd had lunch with this person or whatever. I think this is real. Yeah. This is real people on this show, real people who are living the experience running their business are all super mm. inspiring and it keeps you going. You know, that's the most important yeah. thing, isn't it? it? Keeps you yeah. going day in, day out as well. If you could do something you don't seem to be someone who you know you'd look back too much on stuff in life but you know like if you could do something differently to run your business that you maybe made a mistake first time around what would that mistake maybe be that you potentially would do slightly different this time this is more for only service related businesses but I know like our biggest issue which I knew anyway but uh, about a year ago I went to see like a business advisor and he like puts all your figures into a chart that he's like curated and then looks at percentages of, you know, for your business and industry and like age of business, all that stuff, where it should be. And he was like, you know, we can't really improve anything. He goes, but I like from everything that I was saying, like scope creep is the worst one as a service. Like, mm. you know, as soon as, you know, a client rings you, like depending on what your service is, but if a client is ringing you a lot, and asking you for a lot of different things it's all you know you want to provide a really great service to them but as soon as it's like without the outside of the scope of work yeah just when you've got 20 clients within your business all of those little phone calls and um all of that stuff adds up so beyond giving little bits of advice i think as soon as you start providing any kind of service outside of what your the, the scope of work is I would just be really keen to start pushing back on that as soon as possible. And I found that really hard, but now I'm really good at it Um, because I felt, yeah, I felt like because you, I think you, well, I I as a person want to help and you want the business to be really successful. So you're trying to do as much as possible. What ends up happening is you, you're not focused on the work that was the priority for them. You start working on something else. And so you end up basically just working through the night to try and get the actual work done, even though you build everything correctly. Yeah. And you don't want to get resentful with clients. And I think it just get them. There's a bit of miscommunication about what is and isn't being done. So yeah, that's yeah. one. I get that. I mean, I think it's a good intelligence that you grow and confidence in terms of pushing back. Like you said, you know, I used to mentor uh, a business here in in Manchester, UK, and you know they were pretty much working for one client that was completely holding back the growth of their business. And he was calling them up at weird times of night and doing this. And was like, look, do you want to lose this account or whatever? But actually being able to give them the confidence to say, look, it's not all about this client. They pushed back a lot more, got a better deal with him. He realized he didn't want to lose them as helping his business grow. And that actually inversely freed up time for them to take on new clients, which meant that they could push that person more to the side. So yeah, I I can understand the importance. You want to go the extra mile. We're always taught that in business, but there has to be boundaries in terms of, like you said, what the remit is and, you know, whether you're doing too much for that client or whether you freeze up time for working with other people. Um, I always ask this question as well. If time was of no significance, but you could only do one thing every day to grow your business, what do you think would be the most valuable thing that, you know, you could be doing to grow your business each day? Oh, um, I would think, I would think for my particular business, like I, I definitely don't think you can undervalue like, personal branding and your personal network um 
So I was really lucky after working at Yelp to have like a big network of lots of different small businesses who needed marketing help, obviously. Um, but even like I find now we'll do a post on the Wonder Coast social about some kind of service and then, um, you know, someone will say to me like the next week or two, oh, like, you know, I didn't realise that you did that or my friend really needs it. And I think you'll be surprised at how much stuff comes within your personal network. So I think... I, like I don't really go to any networking events or anything like that, but I think they don't hurt when you're first sort of starting out yeah. to get to like a lot more events and start spreading the word that way. Yeah, I think you're completely right. I mean, network is so important. You know, I think we're both lucky that we've had jobs globally where actually we've built up a fairly extensive network. You know, like yeah. you know, I, I would hope that, you know, if I was stuck in Perth, Laurie, would be like, hey, let's meet up for a coffee or, you know, sort of that, you know, that would be great anyway. But, you know, like I think you're having that network where you can tap in, you know, and actually feel comfortable as well. If someone comes to me for a favor or I reach out to somebody, you know, you'll always take the time. And, you know, if someone's got a special sub skill or subset of skills, it really helps, I think, to, you know, to do that. So I think networking is so, so important as well to, to build up. And I think as well, just to add my own personal flavor on there, I think, you know, networking events can be great don't kill yourself from doing too many they've got to be very relevant to you you don't want to be going to a general one where someone's trying to sell something to you constantly and you're like this is wasting both our time so uh you know pick and choose the ones you go to and make sure you work out what what you want to get out of it as well yeah um what's your approach to work-life balance or do you just go what the hell is that all about like you know is it you're like 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 what do you do to kind of chill out and keep it all together yeah, I think before I had my daughter, I would just work all of the time because I always enjoyed working and it wasn't really a chore to me. Um, but I always made time to work out and look after myself as well. So I would, you know, get up in the morning, do some like workout, go to work or do some work and then work out. Like always make sure I was exercising and eating well. Um, but then always work pretty long hours because I felt, like I just had such a thirst to learn, um, which I still have, but I guess sort of like more in my earlier 20s, like I could see how much I had to learn to get to where I wanted to be as well. Um, whereas now, obviously, having a family, you want to spend more time with your family. But I think, you know, you can spend a little bit less time learning now because, you know, you've got to a certain level where you've accumulated a lot of the knowledge that you need to do your job and it's just more staying abreast of the stuff that's changing ongoing. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I think um, just doing some things that make you happy, whatever that may be. Okay, I like And in terms of, you know, any setbacks you'd have, um, you know, they could be daily, weekly, (laughs) monthly. You know, how do you stop yourself from going into meltdown? I guess you've evolved this over time, but do you have any kind of like emergency thing you could do that just chill out or see things from a different perspective? You know, like, like how do you respond to setbacks being a, being a Um, business owner? Yeah. I mean, obviously uh, I complain to my husband when I have setbacks mostly. (laughs) I talk to to the team, but you don't like, sometimes you don't want them privy to something that's like a major setback. Um, So definitely my husband listens to a lot of it and he's pretty good at putting stuff in perspective. I think the worst part about working like as a solo entrepreneur or, um, even now, like with, you know, two other people in my team is that you're giving a lot of praise to the people on your team um, and clients are giving good feedback ongoing. But there's also, I think, a thing in my client's mind where they don't want to give you too much praise because they don't want you to, like, lift your prices as well. So you can (laughs) see that their sales are doing well. You do monthly reporting. You can see that their return on investment is fantastic, which is, like, enough for you. But there's not a heap of positive feedback coming my way and like words of affirmation in my love language so I like them a lot um but yeah I do I have actually just started a little board like a pin board at work where I have like letters from clients and also from the team just saying like you know thanks for being an awesome boss and thanks for your amazing work and that's good to look to on those days oh that's great I was kind of visioning a dartboard maybe where you had like your worst (laughs) clients and it was just like right this is how I chill out after a hard day but yeah, that, that kind of works for me as well. I think, uh, you know, I'm kind of picturing a Don Draper style room and they're going, 
you're like, I spent a weekend doing this. And they're just like, hey, yeah, that's okay. Can we do something differently? And you're like, so I can understand, but yeah, I guess experience, that's what it takes, isn't it? To be able to kind of roll with these things as well. Plus like yeah. having, like you said, network, family, your husband being able to support you as well. And, you know, just, just, just be kind of like a way for you to vent off as well. Um, for those people out there thinking of taking the plunge and going solo, you know, what mm. advice would you give to them? Could be any industry, but if they wanted to literally bite the bullet and say, I'm going to do this and do my own business, what advice would you give them? Um, yeah, so I would say probably just plan as much as you can beforehand. Um, see if you can, like, you know, read all the books, listen to all the podcasts, see if you can find a mentor, I guess, which can be hard because um, they could often be competitors. But, you know, even if there's a similar industry where someone can help you, if you can't get professional guidance from a business advisor or from, you know, a marketing expert or whatever it may be. Um, and then I think it's good to, and when I first started I had someone say, okay, well, yeah, we'd love to get you introduced to marketing, but actually our CEO really wants you as a part-time employee. And I was like, well, it doesn't really matter to me. They're like, oh, but we want you in the office. And I was like, well, that doesn't really matter either. And that was actually such a blessing because I was in there two days a week and it was like stable income and I was getting yeah. super, which is like the equivalent of your pension here. Um and so it was really not like, you know, you could be like, okay, even if next month's terrible, at least I've got, you know, those two days. So I think that's yep. good if you can drop down to part-time and incrementally. Yeah, like a side hustle part-time, yep. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I also wish I had done earlier is read a couple of different books. One is called Profit First um, okay. and it is super cheesy, um, but it has some really good insights because I think when you, well, when I was starting business, I was like, work, 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 earn the money, spend the money on things that I think I need, like subscription software, whatever, then eventually employees. And then like all the money that's left over, great. That's my income. Whereas he has percentages based on your actual revenue of like, okay, so here's how much you should be getting for a salary. If your income is 250,000 and over if it's 200,000 and under, this is what it should be. And so it made me be like, okay, well, I can't really get another employee until we reach this point. So that was good. Like just not, I guess, dining on whatever's left of your revenue, but actually like, yeah, sort of looking more at the percentages, that was helpful. <clears throat> and then um, another book that I think is quite good as well, it's very old and very dry, is The E-Myth. I don't know if anyone else has brought that up. I don't think they have actually both these books because we're building a library here of yeah. entrepreneur books, which is great. We'll be putting on the blogs, you know, a big long list, but uh, yeah. actually both of those aren't on yet. So tell me about the E-Myth. So um, it's just really talking about, you know, when you are starting your, it, it's like the entrepreneur myth essentially. Yeah. So it talks all the beginning is about like, you know, I guess um, like, like a lot of these books are always American. So it's talking about the American dream and, you know, like isn't the American dream always to go and start your own business and why wouldn't it be successful? Like you've got this great idea. Of course people want to buy it or whatever it may be. But obviously so many businesses don't succeed. Like even if they're killing it in the first five years, they might do terribly after the first five years. So it's just talking to you like all about the things, kind of like the mistakes that you shouldn't be making. Yeah, that's great. I mean, look, uh, you're right. I mean, like we have to be fairly honest. This is what we do here on the Go Solo Show is we talk about that honesty that, you know, it might work out, it might not, but it's like putting it into perspective until you actually go out there and do it, then you'll never know. But actually what you're saying, I think from reading a lot, this is why we always ask these questions and, and love the mm. books that suggest is that the more stuff you can learn from, other people's pitfalls you know you are going to yeah. make mistakes running a business but you hopefully make less by learning from totally. other people than actually just It'll going save you a lot of lost money essentially and will yeah. enable you to be successful yeah definitely but, but it's you're... very dry i would have it on like one and a half on your speed on your <laughs> yeah, audio yeah. books on your iphone and just yeah, I'm going to have a look at that on uh, Blinkist and see like if I can get yeah. the synopsis of it as well on that. Yeah, exactly. um, final question is obviously you're, you're pleased that you bit the bullet and you know set up your own business. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think I, I really am. I feel very happy. I mean, there's obviously days like any job where 
you know, you have, you feel a bit down and out, but no, I feel very lucky, very lucky to be helping, like to be doing creative marketing and then also to be helping, you know, other entrepreneurs and small businesses make a livelihood for themselves and, you know, make more than a livelihood for themselves. Yeah. It's my daughter crying in the background. I don't know. If you know <laughs> That's all right. Look, we, we want to be as real as possible here. So, yeah. It's not an ideal time for this. But, um, yeah, I think it's um, – I mean, I wouldn't do it. I would just go and find another job. So, yeah, I feel very blessed. Yeah. Not that um, I want to use that word, but, yeah. Oh, no, I think it's true. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to edit that out as well. So blessed is what it will be. But look, I, I think, you know, even from doing this show today is that, again, you know, you're at a stage where you're giving back to the next generation of entrepreneurs who are maybe thinking about doing it or they may be in the early stages or maybe they've been running their business for a couple of years, but they're looking to, you know, maybe pivot or reimagine what they're doing and, and try and make it a better business. So, uh, look, we've really enjoyed having you on the show today, Laura. It's It's been amazing to catch up and obviously chat with you today. Can you maybe point people in the direction of uh, where where you hang out online or what's your website, social media channels? Where do you want to send people to? Yeah, for sure. So we're just thewonderco.com.au um, and on social just the underscore wonder underscore co. So wonder is in or um, yep. not wonder is in wandering around. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then I'm on, I'm not very active on Twitter now, but just Laura Dew um, on LinkedIn, Dew Laura on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, love to. I'm, like I'm always happy to answer any queries if anyone's like, you know, I'm in Glasgow. I don't know what I'm doing with this. Like, I'm always happy to like, shoot a quick LinkedIn message back if anyone's got any questions. Yeah, amazing. Well, really appreciate it. So, Laura Jew, thanks for taking the time to join us here today on the Go Solo Show. And good luck for the future. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. No problems. Take care. See you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Go Solo Show, powered by Subkit. We hope you've had a great time and picked up many new ideas for your own business. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at team underscore go solo. If you're inspired to get started on your own enterprise yourself, then check us out at subkit.com. We're here for whenever you're ready. I've been Johnny Quirk and until next time, keep winning.